This week on the Shooter's Touch, we bring on Dowling Catholic head girls basketball coach Kristen Meyer. Coach Meyer is what you would call a serial coach. From her start, she would coach anything from volleyball to basketball, moved into the Nevada School District and spent a lot of time there, over 10 years there, moved her way up, worked her way up to head coach, head girls coach there, and was planning to stay there for a long, long time. The Dowling Catholic head job opened up and she ended up getting that job and has been there for the last several years. She's really enjoyed it and she's coached some superstar athletes, namely Caitlin Clark, who is currently a freshman at the University of Iowa. Coach Meyer gives some great advice to young coaches. She's very intuitive and very knowledgeable around the coaching space. We had a great time talking to her and hope you enjoy this episode. Here she is, Kristen Meyer. Welcome back, Shooters, to another episode of the Shooters Touch. This week, we bring on the Dowling Catholic High School head girls basketball coach, Kristen Meyer. Coach, welcome to the Shooters Touch. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm excited to uh, have a conversation with you guys. Yeah, we're excited too. Um, kind of slowly getting back into the swing of things. How, uh, how have you and your family and ultimately your team been handling these crazy times we've been going through? You know, crazy is probably the, the word to describe it. It's just been uh, so surreal. And, um, you know, as far as the season goes, we're just trying to keep everyone healthy, you know, at school and, and, and with basketball and everything. And we started up the first two weeks, got to get going with practices. Then we got shut down for uh, two weeks. We were all online for school and got to come back, which was good. And then, you know, Christmas break was nice. So far, everyone's been healthy uh, coming back. But our first two days of our uh, second semester term were online. So uh, yesterday and, and the day before, we weren't able to practice. So just kind of trying to get back into a rhythm of things and a routine it has been kind of hard, but I think like a lot of athletes and coaches right now, we're just really um, happy and grateful to get the opportunity to play because we know there's a lot of either schools or states that aren't playing right now. So we're just trying to, to stay content and stay happy and take it one day at a time. Yeah, that's about all you really can do. I mean, uh, unprecedented times, and we're all dealing it with it as best as we can. And uh, like you said, as long as th these kids and athletes can stay healthy and we get a little basketball in there, it's a, it's a win for everybody. So um, so with that, we'd like to kind of start um, back at the beginning, in the background. Uh, growing up, uh, what, was it, what was it like for you and your neighborhood, your family, um, athletics? Uh, I guess, first of all, where did you grow up and where are you from? I'm from Olwine. Uh, it's a small town up in Northeast Iowa, probably around 5,000 people or so. Um, a, a really great place to grow up. Just, I think like Iowa has a lot of just smaller towns. And so I, I'm the third oldest of eight kids. So uh, when you talk about, you know, neighborhood games and things like that, it, it was always a, a busy, loud, kind of crazy household, um, neighborhood kids. You know, we get together and play street football or basketball or ride bikes or find a trampoline. So I think probably like a, a lot of people and grew up in small towns, you just kind of hung out with whoever was in the neighborhood, played whatever sport or competition or game uh, everyone else was doing. So kind of 
was my first kind of taste of competition and just enjoying sports in general. And so then once you got to the high school level, what, uh, what sports did you participate in? So my freshman year, I did volleyball, basketball, and track, and then I uh, kept going with volleyball and basketball and then ended up switching over to tennis, uh, sophomore, junior, senior year. And not that I had necessarily played a lot, but a couple of my friends were out and thought I'd give it a try. So, um, you know, that was more for fun. And uh, volleyball and basketball were probably the ones I was more serious about. Basketball was always my first love. I, I just loved, um, especially shooting, you know, as your podcast, Shooter's Touch, you yeah. know, kind of because it's. It's the skill that everyone can work on. And we, uh, my parents put up a basketball hoop in my backyard. So you're out there for hours at a time. Didn't need to go to a gym. You don't need a lot of equipment. You got a hoop, you got a ball, you're good to go. Um, so basketball is really kind of my, my first love um, ever since I was little. Yes, uh, obviously shooters touch for a reason. Adam and I like to shoot as well. So, uh, <laughs> so we're right there with you. And I agree. I mean, that's the one thing that I always say. Um, especially with my daughter too, is, is, uh, Hey, I mean, you don't need anybody to go out and work on that skill. I mean, that is something where you can just sit there and continue to shoot and fire away and get your own rebound. And so that's great. Um, after high school, then where'd, uh, where'd you, uh, attend college? So, uh, throughout high school, I was kind of going back and forth on whether or not to, to play basketball in college and ended up just choosing Iowa state to go to and, um, have a little break from playing sports. So um, went to Iowa State up in Ames, which I, I really, really loved. But uh, that first winter, I kind of found out that I absolutely do not like winter. You know, growing up, you're in the, the gym all the time. You don't even notice it because it's basketball season. But I uh, played a couple intramural sports, really enjoyed that, but kind of decided that I, I really missed basketball. So end of my freshman year, I was kind of going back and forth on either looking to maybe transfer to a smaller school to play um, or get into coaching and it just kind of worked out that I was able to find a, a coaching position and from there it just transitioned from, from player to coach and I've really just loved it ever since. So what was your first coaching opportunity then? So my sophomore year at Iowa State, 19 years old, I got the, uh, the big prestigious job of seventh grade assistant coach at Nevada Middle School. So when you talk about uh, the coaching totem pole, uh, that is about as low as you can be on, on the totem pole. And even when I was in high school, I had helped coach like my younger sister's park and rec basketball team. Uh, my freshman year at Iowa State, I, I worked for Ames Park and Rec, helped with like the five-year-old basketball program and just loved being around the sport, loved being able to help teach, you know, a sport I loved. So started out with, with seventh grade assistant coach uh, at Nevada did that for one year, absolutely loved it. And then the ninth grade coaching position opened up the next year. So I, I moved into that position and also ended up uh, getting hired as the eighth grade volleyball coach. So I didn't necessarily think I'd ever get into coaching volleyball, but the way it kind of worked out, it's a part-time job. I'm a college kid. Um, I kind of know some of the people over at, at Nevada and it just uh, kind of grew from there. I, then I did, I ended up picking up middle school track the year after that. So I was coaching three sports, um, a couple of years in college and my major uh, was actually sport management. So I have a, a sport management degree with a coaching minor, but after a couple of years of coaching, it's like, man, I, I kind of like these high school kids. I, I, I wouldn't mind going into teaching. So um, I ended up graduating from Iowa State and then getting into a, a master's program at Simpson to get my business education teaching license. And so it just kind of was a smooth transition right when I was finishing up my student teaching, 
Um, Nevada had two business ed teachers. One of them was the head girls basketball coach who I was working with as the freshman coach. And then the other position, uh, she retired right as I was finishing my student teaching. And so it was a perfect transition to be able to kind of slide right in uh, where I was already coaching three sports and um, took over a, a business ed teaching position. So that ninth grade position, and that was your first head, head job. And how old, how old were you at that time? So that would have been my junior year. So, I mean, I was 20 years old and I'm sure at the time thought I, I knew a fair amount and looking back, I bless those people for hiring me. I don't know if I would have, you know, trusted myself, but uh, I, I had, you know, other coaches with me and, and Carrie Thompson was a head coach. And at the time, uh, Justin Martin, who's at Rolling Story right now, he was the JV coach. So just getting to work with those guys and there's some good volleyball uh, and track coaches at Nevada that I got to learn from. It was just a great learning experience uh, and, and really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's great to get uh, get a head coaching experience at such a young age, obviously um, voted well for you, but uh, something that I know a lot of coaches come on the podcast and uh, when when you get thrown into that first head job, I, I don't think it matters how old or how many, how long you've been coaching. You're never quite ready for it, but that first year you seem to learn a lot. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, from game to game and you learn from the kids, you learn from the other coaches um, and, and it, you know, you grow as you go. It's just like when you watch players, those first couple games, first time on varsity or first time, you know, maybe freshman ball or whatever, a little bit deer in the headlights, but you try to at least act like you know what you're doing. Um, and then, you know, behind the facade, it might be a little bit, uh, a little bit chaotic, but you, you learn as you go. And, and like I said, I had a couple of really, really great coaches to learn from who helped, helped me. And, and I got to just be around their practices and, and try to soak up as much as I could. And so then when did the uh, transition happen for you uh, ultimately getting the head job at Nevada? See, so I was the freshman coach for two years, and then I was the JV coach for four years. I believe that was the, the way it was. And then uh, it just happened that the head coach, he had a couple sons in high school, and uh, he was really good friends with the, the boys head coach. So, and he was ready to kind of maybe take a step back. So he ended up going to be co-head coaches of the boys program. And so it just kind of um, worked out for me to take over as the varsity girls head coach. And I believe I was 25 um, when I was hired for that. And, and again, at the time I'm like, man, I've got this experience. You know, I know the kids, I know the program. Uh, but that first time as a head coach where you're now working with, you know, assistants and youth programs and setting up camps and bus schedules uh, it, it's a lot to do, but again, um, Carrie Thompson, who had been the head coach, he was the other business teacher. His, his classroom was right next to mine. So I would just go over there and ask him questions all the time. Yeah, that's, that's always good to have a mentor, especially that close, uh, that you can <laughs> lean on a little bit, because like you said, when you step into that head coach role, um, it becomes less about basketball and seemingly more about all the other stuff that uh, I know even during my time as head coach, I was like, man, I kind of like to be assistant so I can just coach basketball again. You know, I, I think a lot of us head coaches feel that same way. You know, just like you said, there's so much other stuff that the actual coaching part ends up so much smaller uh, part of your job. But yet everyone from the outside who thinks they want to be a head coach, oh, I want to be in charge. I want to make the decisions, you know, all of this. But then once you get into it and you're like, okay, I got to meet with the AD about the budget and I have to set up these youth camps and I have to contact parents and send out emails and work on the schedule. Uh, it, it can be, it can be a lot, but you know, it's just 
part of the job. You know, it comes with it, as you said. Well, let's, uh, I guess if we could coach, let's maybe back up a little bit, but you know, you kind of, uh, you went over a little bit, you mentioned that after your freshman year at Iowa state, you know, you, you, you may want to transfer, go somewhere else to play or maybe start coaching. Was that just an easy transition in your mind from, you know, loving basketball into coaching or was there a time in your life where you knew, Hey, I want to, I want to coach basketball. I think I always had the idea that I might want to coach. Um, even when I was younger playing, I, I loved thinking the game of basketball. And maybe it was just some of the teammates that I had, you know, when we would go to run set plays, there were certain teammates I had to remind them all the time, no, you got to go here because I'm coming here and then you have to pass here. And so um, I, I wouldn't say I was the most skilled ever, but I was always thinking of ways because I love shooting and, and shooting threes was kind of my, my role on the team. How do I get myself more open shots? Well, if my teammate drives in there and gets two defenders, I'll slide over here and be open, you know? And so I think just always watching the game and, and trying to think of ways to create advantages and things just kind of came naturally. And so, um, you know, that freshman year of college and it, I got to play intramurals and some of those things, which were fun, but I, I missed the, the team aspect and, um, you know, going into the coaching role was a challenge, which I think I, I really looked forward to. And when you're, in, when you're a player, at least for me, I always thought, well, if I was a head coach, I would play these people and I would do this. You, you think it's in your mind, it's very simple. You know, I think sometimes players or parents or, or fans, you know, it's the, the fan in the, the 10th row that knows exactly what play should be called. You know, or you, re, you, you read stuff on Twitter about college programs, you know, pro programs where it's like, man, everyone has the answer until you're in the seat. Um, but it, it's just really been fun to be on that other side of it from, you know, the coaching side compared to the playing side. And it took a few years of really training yourself to think like a coach. I remember, you know, when my first couple of years as a ninth grade coach and I'd sit on the bench for varsity and we'd go in for halftime and the two other coaches, you know, we're having our coaches meeting. Okay. What do we need to do against the zone? You know, whatever. And I'm thinking, man, are they playing zone or man? You know, cause you're just kind of of watching the game but you have to really train yourself to see different things and so um that that took a few years and and that was kind of a, a fun transition not saying i'm perfect at it now but it's it's just training yourself to view, view the game differently and try to to pick up on things either adjustments to make or or things you know skills that you need to to work on as with your team so i think i just naturally kind of lean towards that um of seeing the game that way and so that's why I really enjoy coaching it's interesting you say that too because we've we've talked to a lot of coaches on this podcast and a lot of them do say that that hey we obviously played um a bit back in the day but it's it's a tough transition from player to coach number one time and number two as you kind of said you know you're as a player you're just playing the game you know reacting to stuff and probably as a player watching it you, as you mentioned you're just you're just watching the game so that um, that would be a tough transition for me as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think everyone has to kind of go through that on their own, but I think it's the same thing for athletes. I was just talking to uh, one of my upperclassmen who have played varsity since freshman year. And, and we've got some new varsity people this year where the game's just so fast. I mean, you have a hard time even just where do I go? Where am I supposed to be? Where's the ball going? You know, and then the more you play, the more the game slows down for you. Now I can think ahead. Well, I'm supposed to be here. Not only I know where I'm going, but I can tell you where you're supposed to be. And so I think coaching is definitely that same, 
you know, kind of path to take that those first couple of years, it's just, just watching the ball. Um, but the more you, you know, you do coach trainings, you watch videos, you, you go to clinics, things like that. You listen to other coaches. Um, it just helped you out. Coaching volleyball was a big one for me that I think helped me when coaching basketball. Um, I got to coach with um, a guy who was a really, really high level volleyball coach at Nevada, James Brockway. And just even being around him in practices when I was coaching ninth grade volleyball, because I ended up doing some high school volleyball as well. And the way that he would talk to players about seeing the court and, and seeing, you know, one contact ahead, because it's not just watching the ball, but it's watching the players and what's going to happen. And not only it's not really predicting it, but you just can see what's going to happen if you watch the right cues. And so that was, was really impactful for me, even as a basketball coach to just see, okay, I know what's going to happen. Uh, or I know what's probably going to happen by watching these different cues. Now, when you're working with high school kids, you never really know what's going to happen. Right. It's a bit of a wild card, um, but, but they're fun. Um, well, you kind of mentioned it there. Let's uh, maybe transition into your mentors. Um, you know, you mentioned a few of them already. What, uh, what were some of those that, uh, you know, those coaches that did mentor you? And then what did, uh, what did you learn from those mentors? Well, the first one, as I mentioned, Carrie Thompson, who was uh, the other business teacher and the, the head girls basketball coach uh, that I got to coach with, I think side by side for six years. And I, I taught at Nevada nine years. Um, I mean, number one was just the work ethic. Like, like Brian mentioned, the time that, that, put, that you put into it, you don't realize it's watching film, it's emails, it's scouting reports, it's all this prep. And so he was just a really good example of that and how to, to hold players accountable, but still um, be encouraging and, and to really just the right way to run a program. Um, James Brockway, who I mentioned, who coached volleyball at Nevada, uh, just kind of the, the intricacies of, of reading the game and studying the game and studying players and, and motivating players. Um, I, I really enjoyed working with him. Joel Fai, who uh, was the, the head boys coach when Kerry Thompson went over to be co-coaches with him. And actually my last two years at Nevada, Joel became my assistant. His daughter, Allie, uh, was a junior and senior those years. And he was um, went from teacher to a, to a principal, well, and actually from assistant principal to a head principal at uh, the elementary. So he needed to take a step back from coaching because of the time commitment. And he was just fantastic to work with because... Um, you know, he had been a head coach, so now the game has slowed down to him. So sometimes as a younger coach, I was still kind of emotional and in the moment, and he could see all those things and be able to say, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this? And some of the, the scouting report stuff, he is fantastic. And here at Dallin Catholic, I mean, Tom Wilson, our athletic director and, you know, football coach who anyone in the state of Iowa has heard of Tom Wilson and, you know, our, our state championships for football um, he is just so well prepared and his program runs so well because he has his assistant coaches, you know, they each have their role and their expectations for players. Uh, he has been a big one to learn from uh, Mike O'Connor, our, our boys coach here at Dowling and Mary Beth Wiskus, the volleyball coach. I, I go to them all the time just with advice. I mean, uh, Mike with basketball advice and Mary Beth with, hey, what would you do in this type of situation? And so I've been really, really lucky to have just great people to have as mentors, not only You know, you mentioned uh, two things. I mean, obviously with your both programs, both at Nevada and now at Dowling, I mean, 
really good athletic programs. And as you mentioned, really good coaches at, at both those schools, obviously worldly different um, in the way that, you know, location, the way they go about things, but just success, just top to bottom in both boys and girls sports. Yeah. And, and it's something that, especially here at Dowling, you see through and through throughout the entire school. And a lot of that's just expectations from, it starts with academics and expectations in the classroom and then in the weight room and then in, in sports programs. In Nevada, when I was there, you know, we were still building on that. I think at smaller schools, you're a little bit more dependent on athleticism and individual players because at a, at a 3A level school, if you have a really good standout player or two or three, you can have a good team, you know, um, and at, at the bigger schools, it, you have to have just more numbers. Um, but Nevada was kind of similar to Dowling in that, you know, we had a coaching staff and we worked together with the weight room and, and trying to just make our programs stronger through and through. And we had a lot of multi-sport athletes. So we, we, we kept those kids being able to play multiple sports. And especially on the girls' side, I mean, we had state soccer. We won um, basketball championship, won a volleyball championship state track and so once you get a group of kids who are willing to put in the work and coaches who will work together so they can play multiple sports it just really raised the level of play for everyone around them you mentioned having good athletes so we crossed paths would have been Allie and caitlin it's caitlin right katie katie yep so Allie and katie's their freshman year um, obviously I came to Nevada and, and did a shoot, uh, shooting camp, uh, with your guys's team. And, um, I, I knew right then that those two girls were special. Um, they, they were definitely talented and, um, uh, mature beyond their age at that time. And then, uh, like you said, kind of slowly progressed into, um, not only you, uh, I think I had you saw where you were, um, as a head coach for 101 and 45, your time in Nevada, um, and then also had some success on the volleyball side as well. And those girls end up putting together a good little career and a good little four-year run for, for you and your guys' program. Yeah, definitely. And, and Allie Fye and Katie Kasselbaum were, were a big piece of that. They had some players a year ahead of them with volleyball and soccer. They kind of brought that. Um, Lexi Kadelka, who uh, was a freshman and sophomore my last two years at Nevada, she's playing at Illinois State, uh, brought a post presence. Uh, we had Claire Osman, who, who really did some nice things from the guard spot. But then Abby Stevenson, who was probably the best athlete I coached at Nevada, and she ended up playing. She's a senior now at Drake playing soccer, but she was a four-sport athlete. And so when you get the, this core group of kids who have been playing together since they were young and just love competing in whatever sport they're in, I mean, that's where you saw the success in soccer, volleyball, track, basketball, and then they were just a really fun group uh, to get to, to coach and get to know, um, you know, and at, like I mentioned at smaller schools, sometimes that's a little bit easier to do with a core group that all play every sport together um, because you maybe don't need to be as skilled in a specific sport, but if you're competitors and you're willing to work hard and, and listen and be coachable, you can find a lot of success. And, th and that's really what happened uh, with that group at Nevada. And one of the other things too that we always touch on in this pod with coaches is is the experience and how just valuable that is. And so with your with your guys' run at Nevada, um, you might have to correct me on some of these, but you're so what have been those girls' is junior year? You made to the state finals, correct? Got second, or you? We what, won it that year. You won it that year, okay. And <clears throat> was it the year before? Because you went back to back, right? Right. So their junior year. We won it, Katie and Allie's junior year, which my, was my second to last year there. 
And then my last year there, their senior year, we got second. So we played Pocahontas, Ellie Ruffridge, both years in the championship uh, game. And we got them that first year and they got the best of us uh, her senior year. Well, it would yeah. have been after her junior year. Okay. I think that was Ellie's junior year, but um, that was Katie and Ellie's senior year. Okay. And and you mentioned Coach, Fa- uh, is it Faye? Bye. Fi. Coach Fi. I remember noticing him on your staff uh, once you guys got down to the state tournament and you mentioned it and, and I thought a lot of those same things. I'm like, man, that's to have a coach who's got the head coaching experience now be on the staff. And I was able to obviously observe some of your guys' interactions. Um, and you're right. I mean, it was just kind of a calming influence because he understood what he was doing and he understood and, and it seemed like he embraced his role, um, which just had to obviously empower you and, and then obviously lead to the success that you guys had. Yeah, that was a huge part of our success those last two years was Joel coming over uh, and coaching with us. And, you know, like I said, he couldn't necessarily be at every single practice and things because of his principal job and, and some of those duties. But, yeah, his knowledge of the game and um, and he had coached his daughter, you know, when they were younger. So he knew all of the girls and, and they responded well to him. Um, but I, I'm really lucky here at, at Dowling as well. Two of my assistant coaches have head coaching uh, experience as well. So it's just having those those people on staff that, that they've been through those situations, you know, whether it's dealing with a player that's coming back from injury or, you know, a team that you're expecting to play man now is playing a box in one and they've got some ideas or this drill isn't working, let's, let's try something else. And so Joel Danner and uh, Scott Babinat, who are on my staff, both have years of head coaching experience. And I think it makes a world of difference. Well, and to what we mentioned earlier, I think that they understand a little bit of what it is that you're going through. Like you said, when you have um, young, younger coaches, I mean, it's it's fun to have their energy and their excitement. Um, but until you've had to deal with parents in the media and all the other stuff that comes with being a head coach, you don't fully understand. And so when you have those assistants that have been there and can relate to you on that level and then help out and know where to help out, it just makes it so much easier as a staff. Oh, 100% agree. And, you know, from their point of view, since they've already done years of, you know, the e- emails and the budgets and the bus schedule, and they're ready to maybe not do those things. They've got a great role too, because I mean, it's probably a little bit harder if you don't get to have the executive decision for things, but just knowing where you can impact the game and, and give value, you know, to the head coach, but still not necessarily have to do all of the, the grunt work, you know, type of thing, or the things where it's, you know, they don't have to email or meet with uh, Coach Wilson about certain things or parents and, and stuff like that. Yeah, that makes that definitely makes a difference. And so it had to have been a, a little bit of a difficult uh, transition for you. It sounds like uh, it, it was a good one so far. Um, but uh, t- walk us through a little bit about the, the, the tough decision in making the change from Nevada and, and coming down here to Dowling. Sure. Uh, to be honest, when I was at Nevada, I assumed I'd retire there. Great community. I love the people I worked with, uh, the kids that I taught and, and coached, and just really, really love the community. Um, but uh, my last year there, we had just finished up the state tournament, and I, I knew that Bob and Sharon Hansen, who are you know legends in the state, uh, who coach here at Dowling, were retiring. But I didn't necessarily didn't really even cross my mind to to look into this job. Um, but I think it's fair to say the opportunity kind of found me. And when, uh, when, it, when it kind of entered my mind and, and you know, became a possibility, at first I had no intentions of, of really pursuing it just because I was so happy at Nevada. Um, but you know, when I had some time to think about it and, 
and at one point I thought, you know, maybe I'd want to get into college coaching and, you know, there's a lot of good things about that. Um, you know, higher level of players, more talent. Uh, you, you don't have to do your, your nine to five teaching job, you know, you get to just do basketball. Um, but I, when I was at Nevada, I still kind of decided I, I like high school. That's, that's kind of, I think where my calling is. And if I was going to leave Nevada, it would probably be for a bigger school where it is more of a, you know, a higher level of, of basketball play day to day. I mean, you look at the CIML and, and the players that we have are unbelievable. There's D1 talent on the floor basically every night. And um, the other thing was I, I went to a Catholic elementary school and, and the faith component uh, was appealing to me because again, if I was going to leave Nevada, it would have to be somewhere that I really wanted to go just because I was so happy uh, at Nevada and knowing that Bob and Sharon Hansen had been here for, for years and years, I knew that this position may not open up in my lifetime. So um, I ended up applying for it, got to talk with coach Wilson about possibilities and um, you know, just kind of worked out and uh, it, it was, it was a bit of a transition. It was, it was really hard to leave Nevada. Uh, it, was, it was really sad, um, but also kind of exciting to get kind of a, a new start and, and a new challenge for me here at Dallin. What, uh, what would you say the biggest transition was then coach when you made that move? Um, for me personally, it was not being in the classroom. So at Nevada, I was a full-time business ed teacher, taught a lot of computer classes and I coached three sports. So the kids that I were coaching, I was coaching as varsity players. I had had in middle school track, middle school volleyball. I'd had in at least one class their freshman year, the, the computer apps class, if not two or three. So, I mean, I knew these kids. Um, here at Dowling, my job title is technology integrationist and new teacher mentor. So I, I work more with uh, the teachers than students. And so that was a big change for me, not being in the classroom and really getting to know um, just kids in general. You know, I walk through the halls here and I don't recognize a lot of kids. We're at, at Nevada. I taught every single freshman because we had a required computer class. And so that was, was a big adjustment for me. And then as far as the, the basketball side, like I said, I was at Nevada for 13 years coaching. And so those kids, by the time they were in high school, I knew them, I knew their family members, I knew their siblings, I knew what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, and so brand new here, and I didn't have a chance, the girls who were in high school to work with them when they were in middle school. And the girls didn't really necessarily know each other that well, because we have so many uh, parochial elementary schools, so they don't all go to the same school. Um, so that, that was a big adjustment, something that, I mean, I cognitively knew, but didn't really realize kind of the impacts of just, it would take a while for me to get to know the players and the family and, and, you know, the Dowling community. Um, so, so that was a little bit of an adjustment and it is a higher level of play day in and day out. And so we also had some very talented players my first couple of years and we still do. Um, so it, it was a little bit, the basketball part was a smaller adjustment, I think X's and O's wise than going from, you know, a school that had 115 kids in a class to 350. Right. And that's a, you know, a huge transition. I mean, Brian and I are both from smaller towns and, you know, even as players, you know, playing against your, against your buddies all the time, and then maybe playing AAU or maybe, maybe getting into high school where they're a little bigger and a little stronger. That is, you know, uh, um, a transition that is that is sometimes hard. But you mentioned you mentioned as well, you know, the talent that you've had, um, and maybe most recently, um, Caitlin Clark, who has been um, incredible for Iowa. 
uh, here these this uh, short season. But um, what was it like? What was it like coaching Caitlin? Um, and maybe uh, just just as for our listeners, what were some hurdles that you maybe had to get over uh, while uh, while you were coaching her? Sure. So it's interesting because I think people assumed when I took the job that I really wanted it because Caitlin Clark was going into ninth grade. Uh, to be honest, when I was interviewing before I accepted the position, I had never heard of Caitlin Clark. You know, when you're, you don't hear of eighth graders unless they're in your area. And so um, once I got hired and, you know, talking with people, there's this really talented player coming in and I'm like, okay, well, Dowling's had a lot of talented players. So, uh, and we had some other girls on the team that uh, one of them was a junior when I started here and she was going to University of Nebraska, Omaha. You know, so a D1 player, another one who was going, going to play D2, um, a D1, two D1 softball players. So I'm like, okay, you know, they're just better players. I tell you what, though, uh, Caitlin is, is a different type of basketball player. And now I think nationwide people are seeing it uh, with, with her play at Iowa. And so in some ways, I think it was good that we kind of came in the same year. And she didn't really know me. I didn't really know her. Um, and, and so we kind of just the, the program was going to change with either one of us coming, but both of us, it was kind of a, a fresh start. And um, as you mentioned, she is just an incredible player and her biggest strength is her vision of the game. And she understands the game and, and the conversations I would have with her as a freshman, just about the game of basketball were ones that I had had with Joel Fye or, you know, assistant coaches. And, um, and she has, she had coming into, you know, ninth grade year, you hear about, she's really talented, this and that. It, it wasn't until I got a phone call. It was August before school had even started from uh, a program that was preseason top 10 in the nation asking about her, you know, and saying, and I, and I was one of those, like, I kind of had to ask him, well, how good is she? Because I saw her in the summer and it's hard to compare. And they're like, she could possibly start on our team this year. I was like, she's like 14, 15 years old. They're like, yeah, she's, she's that good. And so um, for me, it was just kind of a little bit eye-opening and I guess the biggest thing was with her and, and Joe Sigrist, who's the, the Valley head coach who had uh, Zoe Young, who was pretty highly recruited, had told me early on, just wait till the recruiting happens because they're, they're freshman and sophomore years, college coaches cannot call the player or the parent. So as the high school coach, you get plenty of phone calls. And so pretty quick uh, into her freshman year, I mean, the, the amount of phone calls and text messages from top level programs was pretty incredible. And I love talking basketball, you know, just like we're doing today. So I just love getting a chance to pick some of their brains about different basketball things. Um, but that was kind of an, an eye opener for me. And then, um, you know, even her freshman year, the way when she steps on a court, whether she's the youngest or the oldest, she just owns the court. And, and I, I really will always remember the first day that we had a summer workout, she comes in, you know, people are excited, they might be a little bit nervous. Well, anytime she enters a gym, there's a huge smile on her face. Like you can tell she just loves the game of basketball, not loves to just watch it or loves to play, but loves to work at it to get better. I mean, I don't know how many fifth graders are working on a between the legs, step back, three point shot, you know, but that's what she was doing. And, and she just loves to compete. So, um, you know, I'd say she and I both grew a lot over the four years that we were together. Obviously, I had never coached a player to that level of talent. Um, and there were times, uh, you know, you mentioned the struggles. I think the hardest thing was that 
her skill level and her vision and IQ of the game were so much further ahead than most teammates and even opponents that at times it was hard for her to, to play high school ball. You know, and she got to play on a couple of USA teams um, throughout her years. And, and she just was more at ease because, you know, she could look at someone and they knew the back door. And then boom, she's already passing there. Whereas sometimes when you're playing with people who don't have quite as, as high of an IQ level, it, it's hard to get your movements coordinated. Or she would see something and start going there, but her teammates weren't on the same page. And so sometimes trying to keep all five of the people on the court on the same page were a little bit of a challenge. Um, and, you know, as we're seeing now, even in college, she can get a shot anytime she wants one. And when you're in high school, then the defenders are, are not as good as college. It's even easier. And, and, and her shooting efficiency has improved a ton over the past couple of years. And so freshman, sophomore year, she could get those shots off. Maybe wasn't making them at a high percentage. Um, so that at times there was some tension and frustration with her or, or teammates or just, you know, okay, we got to run these sets to get these types of, of shots. Um, even though, I mean, she knew she could make those shots. I knew she could, her teammates knew she could, but then sometimes when you're not, it, the frustration is there. And so I think just even her growing in maturity and, and in leadership, um, you know, at times there's struggles with everyone, but, um, you know, as I told her at the end of, of her four years, I just feel really lucky to have been able to have a front row seat to watch her play all those games. And I've uh, luckily been able to watch her college game so far, but she can just do, do things with the basketball that most other players cannot and don't even know is possible to do. Yeah, and I, I would say that's probably been my biggest takeaway early in her college career is, and I've said it to several college coaches that I know that no freshman at any level should look like that. Like it is just crazy on how good and how easy she makes the game look. And to your point, I think it, I think it is her knowledge of an understanding of the game. I mean, she is essentially a head coach out there um, with the, with the talent as the, as good as anybody in the gym. And so uh, it was fun to watch her growth um, under you and uh, as a player and as an athlete. And, and I, and I do think by the time her senior year, you could just tell um, that she really kind of understood it and knew that, you know, probably bigger and more things were coming. And I, she, she seemed to really enjoy her senior year after maybe dealing with quite a bit of pressure the first couple. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it is hard when, when you have a lot of pressure on you and she had national attention since she was, you know, eighth, ninth grade. So I can't even imagine that. Um, and always feeling like you have to perform, but I, I agree with what you said of by her senior year, she was just having fun and just, just soaking up, you know, knowing that high school goes fast and she's going to go on to bigger and better things as far as basketball is going to take her some places that we'll get to watch her on TV. I think for, for a number of years, not just at Iowa. And so her being able to just be excited to play for Dowling. Um, her family's big Dowling people. She grew up watching her, her cousins, uh, the Fabers, play at, at Dowling and, and just it's in her blood. So I think um, by her senior year, and she had already made her college decision, which, you know, of course, was weighing on, on every high school junior and senior. And so she just got to kind of have fun on the court. And um, by then, she was playing with teammates who had played with her for a couple of years. So now they started to expect that behind the back, no look pass, you know, and some of those things. And, and we really tried to tailor our schedule to get tougher competition. Uh, we did a couple of, we played a couple of out of state 
teams um, to go against greater competition, which I know she, she just loves to compete. And so I think that was, was really fun for her. And she just tried to, to soak up that last year. Well, you mentioned it here a couple minutes ago, coach, but you know, the competitive or the level of competition in high school is obviously different than in college. And especially for a player like that, how did you, how did you make the practices competitive uh, just overall for your team and more specifically for Caitlin when, when, when you were coaching her? To be honest, that was hard. She, she's the best player, you know, in the gym. And at times I almost wanted to send her to the boys team because I, I think, I think she could compete with them. She's a little bit shorter, but um, what we did was we try to bring in some high school guys, like a scout team to go against. And we still do that um, just to up the, the competition level. And, you know, a lot of these guys who aren't playing basketball anymore, who used to play basketball, they're maybe not as skilled, but they're athletic. You know, you take any high school guy who can jump a little bit higher, run a little bit faster. Um, and so we would have high school guys guard her and she'd have to guard them. Or if we didn't have a scout team at practice, you know, we do things where it was one on two. Everyone else is playing one on one. Caitlin, you've got two people guarding you, um, which sometimes she'd end up running one defender into the other using them as screens. Um, but I, I think just trying to the good thing about girls basketball in high school is you, if you can get guys in that increases your competition level, it's so much harder for, for boys basketball because you already have the best basketball players in the school, you know? So unless you have coaches who can hop in, it's hard to increase the level of competition. So, so that was a big one. And with Caitlin, because she wanted to compete and win all the time, we just had to keep scoring drills. It, it didn't matter what drill we were doing. If there was a scoreboard and even if there wasn't a scoreboard, it was going to be competitive. And so I think that drew um, the competitive juices out of teammates as well. And at times, um, you know, we'd, we'd have to calm down the whole group when they get a little bit uh, fiery, but we'd rather do that than have to say, come on, compete harder. And so, um, you know, even this year, we have had uh, some guys come in for a scout team and just try to keep score of drills, mix up teams, you might give um, certain players or certain teams a bonus point for a certain action or a certain, you know, if you get a steal, you, you get a bonus point. And so it might kind of increase the defensive pressure, but just try to, to change things up and, and make it as fun and competitive as possible. Well, a lot of those things you mentioned are, are things you read about and hear about a lot of the greats too. So that makes sense that uh, they, she was, she was like that. But um, we talked to a lot of coaches about youth programs as well. Um, how important do you think that is? How, how do you and your coaching staff kind of cater or, or try to build those youth programs um, on, the, on, on the high school coaches level? Oh, I think youth programs are huge. Um, and in some ways at a bigger school, it's a little bit harder because you've got more kids and more elementaries um, to kind of try to organize. We have a, a youth club program. It's called DCBC, Dallin Catholic Basketball Club. We've got sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade teams. Um, and I'm, I'm very heavily involved in that. I run tryouts the first two weeks of practice. I, I coach those. I train the coaches. Um, we do summer camps. Uh, the, the thing that I've run into that I, I really struggle with, and I haven't found a great balance, um, is the AAU and club programs out there. Because... Like this year, what we're finding, um, to be honest, we don't have a lot of club basketball players in our high school program right now. 
two of my starters uh, are, are going to be D1 softball players. One is going to Michigan to play softball. One is going to Kentucky to play softball. So, I mean, you talk about high level uh, competitors and athletes, they're there, but because they've been, you know, spending a lot of time in softball, they don't necessarily have the basketball skills. Now, I would never ask them to choose because they're great basketball players, but I think what I struggle with with some athletes and trying to, you know, give advice to parents is how much do you push the club, you know, and especially the, the gone all spring and summer, you know, clubs where not only is it a time commitment, it's financial commitment, and sometimes you have to give up other sports. And so we try to offer our, our middle school club program where kids can play club volleyball, which is huge here in Iowa. Um, but on the other flip side of it, we probably don't practice and play as much as some other kids who are playing at an all Iowa attack or a kingdom hoops or some of those clubs. And so that's where I kind of struggle because you look at, you know, right now and, and any year, and I mean, Caitlin played a lot of club ball growing up. If you play more, you're probably going to be more skilled, you know, it just makes sense. But, you know, what are the, what do you have to give up? Do you have to give up other sports? And, you know, as someone who played three sports in high school and loved playing three sports, I wouldn't have wanted to be put in a situation that I had to give one up. Or you see some kids who are playing the club ball all year long. By the time they get to junior, senior year, they're burnt out or they have a lot of injuries. I mean, we had one player who was a senior last year. Her, I think it was after her sophomore year, she was she had to ride a scooter around because she had two boots on because she has stress fractures in both of her shins, you know, just from overuse. And so that's something that I really kind of struggle with of, and if, if it works for kids and their parents to be able to play a lot of club, awesome. You're probably going to get more skilled, but some of these other families where maybe that doesn't work for their family, um, but yet then players aren't playing as much and you're not as skilled. So how do you still compete with the best teams without, you know, forcing everyone or, or really strongly encouraging them to play clubs. So I don't know, you know, what you guys have kind of seen or, or heard with the club scene and, and if you guys have advice or, you know, for your own kids, what, what you'll be kind of thinking, but that that's a tough one for me. Yeah. And I, I, you're not alone. I think it's a balance that, like you said, all coaches um, and all parents kind of struggle with. And, and I don't know that there is a right answer. I, I will say one thing to your point on your guys' youth program, obviously um, come, come in contact with them uh, on several occasions. You guys do a really nice job um, as far as getting your teams um, synced together and your guys' practice set up and then just the teams in general, um, you guys got some good players. And so credit to you on what you guys are doing with your youth program. Um, and then to your point too, with, with club, it, it, it is hard. And I mean, we've had a lot of college major college coaches on here who have encouraged multiple sport athletes. And like you said, kind of giving your body a break, um, from those muscles that we use constantly on the basketball floor or softball field, whatever it is. And, and, you know, learn how to be a teammate too, because like you said, you're probably, you might be the best softball player uh, on the field, but maybe you come off the bench in basketball. And so how do you deal with adversity and, and, you know, how do you handle situ different situations and college, college coaches just feed off of being able to see that. I agree with that, but they'll say, we want you to be multiple sport athletes, but yet then they expect you to play a club and be at all of those, you know, uh, tournaments in the summer so they can watch you play. And so for the recruiting purposes, you know, for them to see you and, and to be contacted by college coaches, they got to see you. And, and I think that's gotten more in the spring and summer than, than high school. Although, you know, we can send out film and stuff, but college coaches are busy in the winter. They're not going to, and we had some come to watch Caitlin 
But besides Caitlin, we don't have very many college coaches in the gym, you know, come to, to watch players. And so it, that's where I struggle with as well, because I agree, if you're a multiple sport athlete, you're working different muscles, you have different rules, and it's fun. Um, and college coaches will say that, but they also want very highly skilled players, you know, and, and so that balance is a tough one to find at times. It, yeah, no, I agree. And, and you're right. I mean, they, you know, a lot of times too, like if those, those fringe players, like if I'm contacting some of my college contacts, um, you know, oh, they play for all Iowa Tech, they're probably going to get over-recruited, you know, and so you kind of, and then it's finding those kids who maybe do play softball that have slipped through the cracks that, you know, is a perfect land for a D2 or whatever it is, because um, like you said, those coaches are showing up to those tournaments, those attack, those kingdom tournaments, and they're trying to fill their rosters in two, three, four weekends, and, you know, kids get missed. Yeah, definitely. But I do think our level of, of talent in the state of Iowa is fantastic. I mean, you look at the number of, of division one girls basketball players coming out of our high schools, it's incredible. And so knowing that there's talent everywhere, I mean, it forces you to pick it up just like here at Dowling, you know, compared to a, a smaller school like Nevada, these girls know if I want to play varsity, I got to put in time, you know, whether it's on a club team or I get my mom or dad to rebound for me, you know, whatever it is. And so I, I do think that our, our level of play in the state of Iowa just keeps getting better. And that's going to force, you know, players to find ways to get better, whether or not they play on a club team, uh, they're going to have to put time in to get better. But uh, on the flip side of that, I think that's also why we have lower numbers out. You talk to, you know, Gene Berger and some of the people at the, the girls union, and I'm on the, the basketball advisory committee, we've had these conversations. Our numbers are actually pretty low for girls basketball. When I was at Nevada and we won the state tournament, we had 14 girls out in the high school, a 3A school. If there could have been one more girl who couldn't walk and chew gum that came out and could have been a state champion, you know, but especially I think with girls, if, if I don't feel comfortable with my skill set, it's easier just to not play. And volleyball, which I love, I played, I coached, um, you know, has just been booming and club volleyball is in the winter. It's hard to play on a, a competitive club volleyball team and also do basketball. And so we're losing some kids because we don't have the multi-sport athletes or, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. If I'm not the best on the team, I'm just not gonna play, you know, instead of putting more time in and, and letting your body develop. So while we, we do have a lot of high talent, it's fall through the cracks a little bit. And then, um, you know, they, they miss out on some opportunities. Yeah, I think it's a little, I mean, you mentioned it's a kind of a double-edged sword, I think. I mean, one, to your point, the CIML, as far as girls' talent, has just been crazy the last five, six years. Um, and I think a lot of that, a large part of that credit is to programs like All Iowa Tech and Kingdom and where these kids are developing their skills and getting to play year-round. And then the, to the flip side of that, I 100% agree with you. I think that does create some burnout. And now all of a sudden, our athletes, you know, the numbers are down because they're either specializing or or they just get burnt out at, at a certain age. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a tough balance. And like I said, I, what's the right answer? I don't know if, if we'll ever be able to figure that out. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and uh, I don't have kids, but I, I don't envy the, the position you parents are in to try to figure it out and try to, you know, because parents are trying to do what's best for their kid. And, you know, they're being told and kind of here, if you want to play college sports, you got to go all in here. 
Um, but then sometimes you get some injuries or things. So, you know, you, you try to do whatever works best for the family and support the player and, and the student athlete and, and just put in as much work and time at the time that you have them in the gym. Yeah, definitely a tough balance, uh, as we've said here. But um, well, let's uh, let's maybe shift gears here, Coach. What is what does this year look like? Obviously, it's been um, a little different to say the least, um, and and short for you guys at Dowling. Um, what does it look like moving forward? Uh, how has how have practices gone? Um, how's that looking for you guys? Well, as you mentioned, COVID has just uh, kind of changed a lot of things, but I do think it's been good for all of us coaches and players to be able to put things in perspective. You know, you get to where you're just going after it, grinding day after day, you know, and you don't really think about how lucky you are to get to be around the sport. So I think the past six to eight months has helped us have a better appreciation for every time we do get to go in a gym or do get to, to play a game. So I think that has been good for all of us to, to have some breaks, to force our you know bodies to rest or our minds to rest or spend more time with family. Um, and be more thankful for the opportunities we get. You know, this year having Caitlin graduate and a strong senior class, to be honest, I didn't really know what we look like coming in uh, to this year, but we've had people step up, just people maybe some that had experience, some that didn't have much varsity experience. Now's your chance and they're, they're excited to be in the gym. And, you know, the past few years, we knew who was going to have the ball in, in their hands, you know, the majority of the game and who was going to take the most shots. And, she had earned that right. She deserved to. But now uh, this year, there's a whole lot of shots up for grabs. So I think that's kind of been exciting for our players of, you know, it's a different player each night that's looking to score, be a, a leading scorer. Um, defensively, we've picked up uh, our, our full court pressure. because we're, we're more athletic. You know, we just want to come, come out and just, just pounce on people and, and just get that mentality of, go outwork people, go make people nervous with the ball and, and get some fast break baskets. And, and our players have really embraced that, um, you know, and I think they're having fun with that. And I think moving forward uh, this year, we've got Lexi Bowles, who's 6'2", you know, a post presence, but we don't have a lot of post players coming up, which I think a lot of programs have. There's some tall girls, but now anyone who's tall, they want to play on the perimeter. Or if you don't have much height, uh, then you kind of got to work with what you have. So I think more of the up-tempo, full-court pressure, um, at least in the next few years, that's what uh, it's kind of looking like. And it's, it's fun. It, as a coach, at first it was hard to me, harder for me because you have to give up some of the control. It's easier when you're calling every set play and not that we did that. I mean, to be honest, Caitlin, Caitlin kind of did Caitlin things and, and she would run plays and stuff. Um, but especially if you're more just kind of up-tempo transition type game, it's more on the players and it's more about concepts rather than set plays. And so it's less control for the coach, but also means more control for the players, which I think develops more ownership and makes it more fun. And so, you know, th this year's a learning year for a lot of our players uh, who are new to varsity, but, but they're taking that in stride. They're every day trying to, to soak up as much as they can, knowledge and reps and experience. And, and I'm kind of excited to see kind of how we, we go along this year and the improvements we make. And then we have a big senior class. We've got six seniors. Um, and so we'll have to, you know, reload it again next year with girls who are in the program, who are getting reps and, and learning as they go. So it's, it's fun to kind of look at, and I absolutely loved coaching Caitlin and, and there's a lot that we never had to put in a press break in our first four years because the press break was Caitlin Clark, yeah. you know, 
Um, and, and so there was a lot of great things with that, but with her graduated, I think coaching wise, there's also um, different things to look forward to in that now we got to develop everyone and, and we can X's and O's wise do a few different things. Um, and, and so it, it's been a fun transition and, and even with COVID and trying to, to navigate that, uh, as I said, just, just keeping in mind that we're lucky to get the opportunities that we have. Yeah. And um, I think there are a lot of people in the area that are excited to, to have high school basketball back. Um, and it, it's exciting times overall, just because it's basketball season, but excited for that for sure. I think you mentioned one thing there a couple of times too, coach that, you know, if, if COVID did anything on the positive side, it's, it's have people realize how lucky they are to do certain things or to have certain things. And, you know, honestly, athletics and sports specifically basketball is is one of those things so it's good to good to uh have that in in um in some type of perspective at at some point so um well we like to end our podcast with a little section called rapid fire um where brian's gonna ask some questions of you and all you gotta do is answer for us all right easy enough all right coach um first one what's uh your favorite visiting gym to coach in or that you've coached in in the past visiting gym well if we're not playing here at dowling catholic the number one gym to play in would be wells fargo uh for state games that that's that's hands down uh, that atmosphere they have and and just knowing that you've made it there i mean that is just it's fantastic um but the other gym that i've kind of liked uh, this year obviously we couldn't go with with covid but uh, the three years prior we had played at a thanksgiving Giving, it's called the tip-off tournament in uh, St. Paul at the University of St. Thomas. And we play out-of-state teams. It's an all-Catholic schools tournament that we, we were invited to. Um, and so our team has really enjoyed playing there for a few years. You know, it's just a, a different place. You get to travel. We stay overnight. It's a college uh, court. And so that's been a really fun place to play as well. I've heard good things too about St. Thomas and just the campus and everything up there. So that's a, that's a good one. That's, I like that answer. Um, what's the last good book you've read? Oh, I, I do like to read a lot. Um, trying to think uh, what drives winning. I don't know if you're, you're familiar with those Brett Ledbetter. Um, and he works with different coaches. He spent some time with Oregon women's basketball, but he's got three What Drives Winning books out. And the, the most recent one came out in December. I think it's What Drives Winning Environments and uh, just some really good perspective of, you know, kind of how to build culture and environment. Um, and I, I like reading any types of coaching leadership type books um, just to, to get different perspectives or listen to podcasts, uh, just give you something to think about. Oh, that's good. I, Adam already jotted it down for us. So we got that for future reference. Um, who's got the best pizza in the metro area? Ooh, there's lots of good choices. Um, my go-to just because it's close to my house is probably uh, the Tavern in Valley Junction. Hmm. Uh, they've got some, some good thin crust pizza. I know my parents, when they come to town, that, that's where they always want to go. That's perfect. That Tavern, that's a good choice. Um, do you have a favorite basketball movie? basketball movie i mean hoosiers is a classic obviously um coach carter you know there's some some good ones there i i like all sports movies to be honest but i think they're all kind of the same but um but i i enjoy anything with sports i'm looking forward to the uh the film they filmed uh the the movie they filmed here in des moines about six on six girls basketball 
um, the, the Iowa teams. And so I think that's supposed to come out sometime in the next few weeks or months or uh, sometime. And I know it won't be a big blockbuster, but I'm kind of looking forward to, to, the, to watching that one. Yeah, that one will be, uh, it'll be interesting. Um, seeing, or the six on six game uh, is just so, so interesting. My mom played six on six and then I had to have been pretty young. I can't remember what it was, but I remember being down at the barn and state tournament for the last year of six on six. Um, and just the passion behind that game that fans and everybody had was, it was, it was kind of one of those bittersweet moments because people did not want six on six to go away. Yeah, well, what's crazy is I was down at the barn the last year, six on six. So Owine, um, my hometown, they made it to state. And I think it was 93, the last year of six on six. And I was in third grade. So I went down, you know, we had late start the next day, got out of school early, went down with friends. And I think that was one of the things that spurred my love for basketball. You know, like you said, the environment, people were so excited and there's huge crowds. And um, it just it just made where you wanted to be part of that. You mentioned the barn and obviously Wells Fargo for, for you, for your coaching, but I mean, can you beat that atmosphere that we had at the barn? I don't think so because the student sections were so much closer, you know, like it just, cause our boys made it to state when I was in high school. And I remember, I mean, you're almost on the court, whereas at Wells Fargo, you're a little bit further back. And since it's a bigger arena, it's not completely full. Um, and, and I love Wells Fargo, but you're right. The, the smaller feel of the barn was, was pretty darn neat. Yeah, it, it was special. And, and I, like you said, I think just the proximity of the fans just on top of you and this is nostalgia and the um, stuff that comes with an older facility. But um, so you mentioned O-line. Uh, if Adam and I get our way up to Northeast Iowa it's for a game, where do we got to stop an O-line to get something to eat? Whew. Well, there's not a ton of restaurants. It's a little smaller town. Um, I think, uh, and some of them have closed, but but Leo's was always a, a good one. Uh, and and Luigi's. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure both are open, but those are kind of locally owned uh, restaurants that were, were big hits in, up in Northeast Iowa. I, we love hearing the little gems, obviously, from small town Iowa ourselves. It's, there's always got to be one. That's where we want to go. So... Um, well, you've mentioned it throughout the podcast, but we always like to end. Um, what, what's the best thing uh, about getting the opportunity to be the head girls coach at Dowling Catholic? There's a, there's a lot of great things. I think coaching in general, just like when you're playing, for me, being part of a team, you know, and where you have people that rely on you and you rely on them and you're part of that community and you get to know, you know, family members from it and you're representing your school, that's just something special that, um, I, I think sometimes gets overlooked and like we talk about club and things and there's a lot of good things about club sports, but getting to wear a jersey with your high school's name on the, the front of it is something that's so special and um, I, I think just as a high school coach getting to be part of that and knowing that the community and the school is behind you and you're representing your school and you know it's not like college where they got to hand pick their players. You know, uh, even though some people think at Dowling, we, we handpick and, and that there's recruiting, uh, I, I get the players that walk through the doors. And so getting to, to mesh those players together while representing our schools is, is a pretty special thing. And, and I feel very blessed to be, be able to be part of that. Well, perfect, Coach. We, we greatly appreciate you taking some time and, and sharing some insight with us. Um, like you mentioned, as we kind of try to ease 
more and more back to normal um, and get an opportunity to get out and play, we'll be obviously following along with your guys' journey and, and uh, wish you guys the best of luck as you guys continue to navigate through everything. Well, thanks so much for having me on. And I appreciate what you're doing uh, with the podcast just to, to grow the game and, and get to know some coaches. And uh, I love listening to this podcast and other podcasts and, and just really appreciate the work that you guys are putting in. Well, awesome. We, we appreciate you listening to and um, obviously for your time too, coach. And to all of our other listeners, as usual, if you like what you hear, we would appreciate a five-star rating wherever you catch your podcast. You can find us on all social media channels, Facebook, Shooters Touch, on Twitter and Instagram at Shooters Touch IA, and our brand new website, ShootersTouchPodcast.com. And as usual, Shooters Shoot. Shooters Touch. Can't nobody ball like me. Uh.